Why is offshore wind giant Orsted's new agreement with a U.S. trade union group significant? And are aerosols actually masking the true impacts of global warming so far? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Becosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hoke, a science writer. Happy Friday the 13th! Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate events. In China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Duangdong are getting drenched by a torrential downpour that started Tuesday with some areas potentially having had over a record 50 centimeters, or 20 inches, Tuesday through Friday. Schools have been closed, and farmers are worried about how well their crops will survive from this. Hong Kong's stock market suffered. Climate change is making China's flooding worse. Last year, floods killed hundreds of people in the Henan province after extreme rain brought the Three Gorges Reserve to a record high level. Many became trapped in their cars in tunnels. One silver lining of the downpour is its increasing hydropower output, which will result in less demand for coal. China has the world's largest fleet of power-producing dams, with about 394 gigawatts of capacity, according to the National Energy Administration. Last year, hydropower output was up 13%. Over in the United States, the fire season has officially started in Southern California. The coastal fire, fueled by record drought, has destroyed 20 multi-million dollar homes in Laguna Niguel. Another 100 homes have been evacuated. Now for some climate studies. The UN Nations released a new report on desertification, which is when fertile dirt becomes desert. Climate change has made droughts 29% longer and more often since 2000, which is causing water scarcity already affecting a third of the world's population right now. A third. That's 2.3 billion people. This number is expected to double by 2050. While no region is spared from drought, Africa is the hardest-hit continent, with the Americas, India, and Australia also being hit hard. The UN has also been hosting a desertification conference on the Ivory Coast this week. Africa has suffered 134 heat waves in the past century. India has seen a drought-related drop in GDP by 5% from 1998 to 2017, while Australia has seen an 18% drop in agriculture productivity from 2002 to 2010. Meanwhile, a study out of the journal PLOS Climate looked at how putting carbon labels and climate-friendly default options on restaurant menus could impact customer decisions. In their online social experiment with 265 people, the study found that people were more likely to choose the climate-friendly options when there were labels on them compared to when there weren't. Now for some climate victories. Environmental groups are suing the Canadian government over the $12 billion Bay du Nord offshore oil project the country announced two days after leading climate scientists told countries to cut down on fossil fuels. The project will be built by Equinor off Newfoundland and is expected to extract 300 million barrels of oil over 30 years of production. Production is planned to begin in 2028. The environmental minister okayed the project after a brief environmental assessment concluded that it wouldn't pose any significant environmental threats. Now, the environmental law group EcoJustice has filed a petition at the Canada's federal court to overturn the decision on behalf of the Sierra Club Canada Foundation 
and Equiteer. Funny enough, Canada's environmental minister was one of the co-founders of Equiteer. I'll keep you posted on how this turns out. In the U.S., President Biden has canceled one fossil fuel lease sale in Alaska's Cook Inlet and two in the Gulf of Mexico. The Alaska one was canceled due to insufficient industry interest, while the Gulf of Mexico ones were due to contradictory court rulings, according to the Department of the Interior spokesperson. These lease locations make up millions of acres now off the table to fossil fuel companies. Meanwhile, the Bureau of Ocean Management announced that the offshore wind federal leases off North and South Carolina drew competitive bids from Total Energies and Duke Energy, totaling $315 million. In other offshore wind news, the offshore wind giant Orsted has agreed with the North Americans Building Trade Unions to build wind farms off the U.S. coast using an American Union workforce. This agreement is the first of its kind in the U.S., and it will secure good wages and good working conditions for middle America, according to the press release. Industry reports project offshore wind to produce 80,000 direct jobs. Orsted also said it will support apprenticeship programs for women and people of color, and that they have already put $23 million into enhancing and establishing new programming to prepare Americans for this new industry. 15 international union presidents praised this move. Orsted has six planned and ongoing offshore wind projects right now across northeast and mid-Atlantic states. Over to the West Coast, Oregon just adopted the strongest worker protections against heat and wildfire smoke in the nation. These new protections require employers to allow workers to take paid breaks to get relief from the heat provide them with a shaded area to do so, and adequate access to water, have a heat illness prevention plan, and to gradually introduce workers to higher temperatures. These rulings will go into effect June 15th. As for the smoke, employers will be required to provide N95 masks to protect workers as needed and make those masks mandatory when air quality reaches a certain threshold. These rules will take effect July 1st. These rules will apply to any employee, including those who work inside, but the single biggest group that will benefit from it are Oregon's 87,000 farm workers. We just have one climate fail today, but it's a big one. Fossil fuel firms are quietly planning scores of carbon bomb oil and gas projects that would drive us away from our internationally agreed on targets, according to an exclusive by The Guardian. This plan includes 195 gigantic oil and gas projects that would emit 640 billion tons of CO2 equivalent emissions over their lifetimes, about equivalent to a decade of CO2 emissions from China, the world's biggest polluter. The dozen biggest oil companies are on track to spend $103 million a day for the rest of the decade exploiting new fields of oil and gas that cannot be burned if global heating is to be limited to well under 2 degrees Celsius. And while Russia and the Middle East are often the ones to get a lot of attention for fossil fuel projects, the U.S., Canada, and Australia are actually behind the largest expansion plans. The U.S.'s current fracking boom plays a big role in this dilemma. Our chemical news headline of the day is also a little mind-boggling. New research by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, shows that the rise and fall of industrial soot, known as aerosol, plays a critical role in worldwide tropic storm activity. 
Aerosols often form a reflective shield in the atmosphere that can trap the warmth higher up, but can reduce the amount of heat reaching the planet's surface. When Europe and North America reduced aerosol emissions by half between 1980 and 2020, cyclones increased by 33% due to the Atlantic Ocean's surface warming. Climate factors were looked at in the modeling behind this finding, but aerosols' fingerprints remained clear. The decline in aerosols might have also changed wind speeds. This study matches a previous study done last year that found the increase of aerosols from the 1960s to 1980s correlated with a decline in global hurricane activity during that time. All this is to say that aerosols might have been masking the true impacts of global warming at this point by keeping the heating above surface levels. It's like we were accidentally performing geoengineering. So, by reducing aerosol pollution in our pursuit to reduce carbon emissions, we might see the true impact of climate change. Okay, one last climate victory to send us into the day. The firm Energy Innovation recently came out with a new analysis that flips the electric car versus gas-powered car discussion on its head. They found that when you consider the current price of gas and the price of maintaining a gas-powered car versus an electric car. Most electric cars are cheaper than many gas-powered cars, practically off the lot. So when people finance a new EV, which most people finance, the cost of the monthly loan paired with the price of gas and the maintenance each month results in less money coming out of buyers' pockets than if they went for a gas-powered car. Granted, the researchers used the gas price data from early this month, which was record high, and since the study was done mainly about the U.S., it also assumed buyers would get the 7,500 federal EV tax credit, which Tesla and GM have already reached their per manufacturer cap for, and Ford and Nissan are close to hitting theirs already. Therefore, the study calls on Congress to increase the cap and make the credit more generous. And that was your climate news for Friday, May 13th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.